Hi, this is Gary Meese, back again with The Case Against. This is episode 36. Uh, we just got through wrapping up uh, the initial interview, which contained a confession of uh, Jesse Miskelly Jr. on June 3rd, 1993. And uh, detectives got a lot of good information out of that confession. Despite what you hear, there were, it was obvious that they weren't just simply feeding Jesse Miskelly all the details. He was independently, he was contradicting, contradicting or resisting some, some questions or statements from detectives that could have been taken as suggestions and and he, he provided a lot of information that would otherwise not be uh, available to him uh, unless he was actually a participant in the scene. Uh, a lot of his descriptions of the attacks conformed very closely to what the luminol testing eventually showed uh, as far as where the attacks occurred. He gave an accurate description of the layout the layout of the uh, woods and fields and so forth, the streets, uh, the little path going through there, uh, and his, his description of the attacks follows the same essential description that, or sets the same essential description that he follows through on the four, I think it's five, like official post-conviction confessions that he made. They're all of a piece. They're all very similar. Occasionally he, he varies a little bit on which boy was attacked when, but, and you know, that sort of thing or the exact sequence of events, but it, essentially it's the same story told over and over and over again with some variance in details and occasionally some new details and occasionally he takes back a few things and this is the nature of confessions. Miskelly uh, obviously was trying to fudge somehow in some way uh, his confession that he just made earlier that day. He uh, had said very little about his own uh, part in attacking these boys and uh, he was trying to really demonize as much as possible uh, Damien and Jason, Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin in the attack on, on uh, May 5th, 1993 of Michael Moore, Christopher Byers and Stevie Branch. It, uh, uh, Robin Hood Hills in West Memphis, Arkansas. And now, the particular thing that caused the most problem with the investigators was his description of the times. He first said he was arrived at 9 o'clock in the morning, later said noon, uh, claimed uh, the boys had skipped school, none of which, none of that was true. And he later said that he uh, gave these details just to throw off investigators. 
Um, but uh, they were quite aware that they had a problem with, particularly with this time frame, even though he gave information, particularly concerning the wounding of the boys, it just simply wasn't available to the general public. Uh, the description that had been made public was all three boys were uh, mutilated. That's not what Jesse Muskelly describes at all, and he's actually fairly specific about who who gets attacked, how. Uh, he, he gets at times he gets the identities of the boys confused, and he's going to do it here too, I, I, I believe. But uh, uh, particularly. Uh, Stevie Branch and Christopher Byers, uh, they didn't look at, they didn't look that much alike. Uh, Stevie Branch had uh, spiky blonde hair. Christopher Byers had, you know, uh, brown hair. Michael Moore had brown hair. It was somewhat darker. Uh, and Michael Moore was a little bit stockier than the other two, but uh, they were, uh, again, he does get the boys confused a little bit, but anyway, I, it, we're going to, the police knew they had a problem, so they were, they decided they were going to talk to uh, uh, Miss Kelly again, so not long after the uh, interviews concluded, I don't have the exact time before me, but I think it was around 2.40 in the afternoon, sometime between 3 and 5, uh, Gary Gitchell, Chief Inspector Gary Gitchell came back in for a follow-up interview. And Gitchell reported, this follow-up done after the first tape to correct and clear up some questions, re question response to the first tape. Okay, Gitchell is now interviewing Miss Skelly. Jesse, uh, when you got with the boys and with Jason Ball, when you, when you three were in the woods and them little boys came up, about what time was it when the boys came come up to the woods? Miss Skelly, I would say it was about five or so, five or six. In the early interview, Ms. Skelly had persisted in saying the crime occurred early in the day. Now he was giving a time of about five or so, five or six, which was roughly the actual time. Uh, the crime, crime was somewhat later, but it was in the late afternoon, five or, and he's not exactly real precise with it saying five or six. Uh, Gitchell asked him. Now, I mean, I'm, let me say briefly, we know that the boys were seen going into the woods around 6.30. Uh, Michael's mother saw him around 6 or so and sent his sister Dawn after them and she wasn't able to catch them. So it, we know that that they were not being attacked, they were not attacked before roughly 6.30 in the e that evening. Uh, 
It wouldn't have been dark. The sun was still shining. Uh, as we'll find out as we go on with this in later, later confessions, Miskelly was intoxicated at the time, and let's presume, let's presume he wasn't really closely checking his watch about, about uh, what time it was when this went on. So if he's just, he suddenly, uh, there's no explanation for why he's suddenly gone from uh, in the morning to five or six in the afternoon except maybe he just simply, he, he, he's lost his priority in, in terms of maintaining his false story. There's no su suggestion he was coerced, threatened, uh, that they made any special pleadings to him or any, anything of that nature. And he doesn't give that impression from his responses that anything special is going on except he's just simply willing to state a, a more factual time in this later interview. Now get your, get your asking now, did you have your watch on at the time? Uh-uh. Well, I basically said no. Get your, uh, you didn't have your watch on, and Miss Kelly responds with uh-uh again. Get your, now, all right, you told me earlier around seven or eight, what time is it? And Miss Kelly says it was seven or eight. It was starting to get dark. Okay, Gitchell mentions he to told me earlier around seven or eight. So there, there'd been some conversation about this time. And Gitchell was coming back and telling. Miss Kelly, Miss Kelly's saying five or six, and look, I understand the, the people who just insist on the police making no mistakes and doing everything perfectly, and the and the killers have to confess and it has to be done in a really good, consistent way, so that there are no discrepancies. And if they don't have all that, they're not satisfied. I understand all that. But that, that's not how the real world works, and that's not how real police works. Police work works. And so there had been some discussion about the time, because Gitchell says, you told me earlier it was around 7 or 8. Which time is it? And Miss Kelly says it was 7 or 8. It was starting to get dark. So Gitchell had gone back and essentially reminded Miss Kelly about the correct time, and Miss Kelly readily agrees to that time. And even then, he's not that exact. He says it was seven or eight. It was starting to get dark. It was probably starting to get dark a little bit closer to eight that night. Uh, and. Miss Kelly volunteered the detail about it starting to get dark. It wasn't suggested to him, and it did fit what occurred. And he, he, I mean, he reiterated, I remember it was starting to get dark. Uh, Gitchell says, okay, well that clears it up. I didn't know, that's what I was wondering, was it getting dark or what? 
Miss Kelly. We got up there at 6, and the boys come up, and it was starting to get dark. Gitchell, okay, so you and Jason and Baldwin, uh, D Damien, you all got there right at 6. About 6, yeah. Gitchell, is that a normal time that you all meet at 6? Yeah. Gitchell, okay, when you do your cult stuff, does 6 mean something? I mean, is that a time you normally do meet? Yeah. Gitchell, okay, so you all met out there at 6 and the boys come up about what time? About 7. And that's about right. That's, that's very close. And they did get there about 6, according to the, the way the timelines would have worked. Uh, the boys arrived closer to 7. Gitchell says, about 7, okay. So you all were out there with the boys and all this stuff going on until, and until you noticed it starting getting dark. Is that correct? Now, witnesses saw the boys in the neighborhood until shortly after 6, and their encounter with killers probably happened close to 6.30, which is about 7 if you're a drunk 17-year-old hanging out in the woods. And perhaps it's about 7 even if you're not a drunk 17, drunken 17-year-old 17 kid hanging out in the woods. And... Uh, so Gitchell asks, is about seven, is that correct? And Miss Skelly says, yeah. Gitchell, okay, now are you sure about this, that, that? Uh, Miss Skelly says, yeah. Uh, Miss Skelly no longer was attempting to mislead, but he continued to be vague about the time. So Gitchell and Miss Skelly had gone over about the times, about five or six, by about five or so, five or six, or seven or eight, starting to get dark, and finally settled on six, right at six, and about six as the time the West Memphis Three arrived at Robin Hood Hills, and then finally settled on about seven for when the boys arrived. Miss Kelly's best guess were approximately correct, being in the last hours of the afternoon, And those times agreed with his later accounts. <coughs> and really with uh, other witness statements. Gitchell, okay, um, okay, hold on just a second, a minute, pause. Okay, Jesse, uh, I asked you about your clothing and you said that, uh, what, 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 what are you wearing? Skelly. I was wearing a blue jeans and a white shirt with some kind of basketball deal on it. Some tennis shoes, Adidas. Gitchell. All right, your shirt was it? Uh, what kind of shirt was it? It was a white shirt with a basketball on on around it. Gitchell. Is it a shirt like you got on now? Mm. Jesse says, uh huh, which is yes. Gitchell, what kind of shirt is it you like to have? What kind of shirt is it like you have on now? That is what, a t-shirt? Miss Kelly answers, uh-huh, yes. Gitchell, okay, so you had a white t-shirt with a basketball design on it. 
Okay, uh, what about shoes? What kind of shoes did you have on? Blue and white Adidas. Get your blue and white. Uh-huh, yes. Get your, and who has those shoes now? Buddy Lucas. Why does he have your shoes? We went, we was coming home one day and it was raining and he didn't have nothing else to wear so he put on one of my shoes. Now this is a different story than Buddy Lucas was, would tell uh, about the disposition of these shoes. Um, Lucas would say that, but it's, I want to point out that there's no disputing the fact that Miskelly gave his blue and white Adidas that he said he was wearing that day to his friend Buddy Lucas. The circumstances of that transfer, handing the shoes over, differ between Miss Kelly and Lucas, but there's no question about that Lucas ended up with these shoes. Uh, and Buddy Lucas, police get talked, begin talking to him. Eventually, he comes around with this story that uh, Jesse Miss Kelly saw him the next morning, described himself as, he was, he described Miss Skelly as being very upset, described going to uh, West Memphis with uh, Baldwin and Eccles and beating up some boys real bad. Uh, and he asked Lucas to take these shoes. And that is the story that Buddy Lucas tells. Uh, Buddy Lucas was administered a polygraph and uh, he went back on his story and basically attempted to, well he didn't attempt to, he just simply told a number of mistruths. He denied the questions concerning the story, you know, and the polygraph results show that he was lying, which means he was telling the truth about this confession from Jesse Miskelly Jr. One of a number of polygraphs pointing to the guilt of Jesse Miskelly and Damien Eccles, including their own polygraphs. Getting back to Buddy Lucas here, uh, get your last, okay, and where does he live at? In Lakeshore, up by uh, the church. Gitchell, all right, who tied the boys up? Uh, Damien. Gitchell, did Damien just tie them all up, or did anyone help Damien, or Jason helped him? Now, Gitchell didn't ask, did didn't simply ask, did Damien just tie them all up? <coughs> He's asking for who tied him up, basically. And he had an opening question about who tied up the boys, Damien. 
he goes on to ask if basically is Damien doing it by himself? Miss Kelly has several options there. <coughs> you know, Damien did it all by himself. Damien and Jason did it. Jason and I did it. Damien and Jason, uh, Damien and I did it. Jason, uh, whatever. All three of us did it. What uh, Miss Kelly says is Jason helped him. And Gitchell says, so, you know, was this a leading question? No, it was an open-ended question, and, and uh, Miss Kelly gave a definitive answer, as he often does. Gitchell, and this is, <laughs> and this comes, next comes up this open-ended question, and we get to the other problematic detail in this particular part of the confession that gets so often cited by reporters. And that's not reporters, supporters. Gitchell, okay, and what did they use to tie them up? Miss Skelly, a rope. Gitchell, okay, what color was the rope? Brown. Now, there's never been any other evidence that a brown rope was used. Uh, Miss Skelly later said he lied to deceive police about the times and the rope. Notable that Gitchell didn't pursue this line of questioning any further because no telling, because he's already in uh, trouble with the answers he he got from Miss Kelly. But it is notable he didn't say, "Hey, what about those shoelaces you used to tie up the boys?" He didn't throw that detail in. He left it open to Miss Kelly to come up with uh, the rope and the color of the rope. By the way, the shoelaces were black and brown, black and white, so they weren't brown either. This is, you know, if you want to interpret this as, oh, Miss Kelly couldn't have done this because he said it was a brown rope, then you're free to make that interpretation. The other interpretation, the one I favor, is that, you know, he told a mistruth here and kind of a dumbass uh, strategy to throw off police by giving these very incriminating, de incriminating details and then coming up with off-the-wall stuff about uh, showing up at 9 o'clock in the morning and tying them up with brown rope, stuff that's, eat, that's just demonstrably false. Uh, Gitchell, did you ever see the boys in the water? And this is the first mention of the boys being in the water. You can describe that as leading if you wish to. Uh, but they'd already talked about it in the earlier confession. Uh, yeah, down by the water. Gitchell, all right, how did the boys get into the water? Miss Kelly, they pulled them there into the water. All right, when you say they, who is it that pulled them into the water? Jason and uh, Damien. Okay. Some open-ended questions there. Got 
the expected answers, but it was open, they were, those were open-ended questions. Gitchell, do you wear a belt? Nope. Gitchell, does Jason wear a belt? Uh-uh. No. Gitchell, does Damien wear a belt? Jesse says, yep. Gitchell, what kind of belt does he wear? A black leather belt with uh, beads, uh, like little beads around it, like little beads, you know, stubbies with. Oh, Gitchell, okay, about how thick is the belt? It's about four inches. <laughs> Gitchell says, now, do you know what four inches looks like? Uh... About like that, the belt was about like that, showing, using his hands to show the width. Gitchell, um, I don't think that's quite four inches, but uh, probably about three, something like that. Uh-huh, Gitchell, uh, which, which boys were raped? And the reason he asked him about the belt is they had seen some wounds on the boys that looked like they might have come from a belt buckle. And Damien was wearing the belt, this belt with a, uh, a heavy belt with a large buckle. Okay, Gitchell asks, which, which boys were raped? Uh, Byers and the Branch. Gitchell. Okay, so you know them by name and face well enough to call them by name? Uh-huh. Gitchell, okay, did you, this, that remains to be seen in some of these later responses about him, how well he knows their names. Okay, Gitchell, okay, did you, did you see the Moore boy? Was he raped? No. And the fact is, is Michael Moore's body was in a very different state than uh, the other two boys. Chris and, and uh, Stevie, he, he, he was, was beaten, he was drowned, he was not knifed. Uh, Gitchell, all right, and there weren't, there weren't some of the other signs of sexual abuse there like there, there were with the other two boys. Gitch, Gitchell, all right, who raped those two boys, Jason and Damien? Gitchell, do you know which one's rape, which one rape, which boy, or how did that happen? Miss Kelly, Damien raped the Myers by himself, and Jason and Damien raped uh, the branch. Miss Kelly apparently was referring to Chris Byers as the Myers. Gitchell, all right, give that to me again now. Jesse, Damien raped uh, the Myers by himself, and Jason and Damien raped uh, the branch. Gitchell, did anyone have oral sex with the boys? Yes, Damien and Jason. Gitchell, how many of them did they do that to? Just two. Branch and Byers. He goes back to actually using the correct name there. Uh, you know, the 
physical evidence, the forensic evidence uh, from the medical examiner indicates, you know, there's some some wounds to the boys that it indicated, you know, that they were possibly forced to engage in oral sex. Uh, but there, uh, there were strange abrasions and so forth around the ears. The ears gave evidence of having been held, and apparently this is something that it's done with by child molesters where they hold a, a small child's ears to, to form oral sex. I don't, I don't want to think about it, but it it doesn't. I don't even understand how that would work, but I don't want to know how it works anyway. Uh, but uh, there were signs of this happening with. Uh, Stevie Branch and Christopher Byers, and then there were also some oral oral marks that gave the indication that maybe they had been orally abused. That wasn't clear, and there were no there was no semen left. But you know the bodies were in water for 18 hours. There's not a suggestion that there was that necessarily that they were. How shall I put this? That they climaxed while the oral sex was going on, so maybe there wasn't that much semen there to begin with. Uh, if it did occur, and I'm a, a kind of agnostic on the subject, uh, Miskelly's describing it, and it's possible based on the physical and forensic evidence. I'm not ruling it out, but. You know, without a little bit better evidence, I'm just sort of saying, you know, sounds like it probably happened. I think there's some clear evidence that uh, there was that there was definitely some sexual molestation going on, particularly with regards to wounds to uh, Stevie Branch's penis. Uh, and I'm not talking about the Christopher Byers egregious, horrific, dis, uh, dis, dismanning or whatever, whatever the term, emasculation. I'm talking about the uh, smaller wounds to Stevie's genitals indicated he'd been abused. Gitchell asked, how did they keep the boys quiet? put their hands over their mouths. They Did they do anything other than keep their hands over their mouths? How did they finally keep from being quiet? Because the boys bound had been hollering. They stuck their hands over their mouths first and then they stuck their shirts to their mouth. Sorry about the coughing. I thought I might get away with not doing that today. Hopefully that'll be the last of it. I'll try to wrap this up soon. Gitchell, okay, did they do anything else to them to make them be quiet? Miss Kelly says, they stuck their thing in their mouth. Gitchell, okay, did they, were they hitting them before that or afterwards? Before and after, just trying to keep them off of them. 
Gitchell just all the time, just trying to keep Jason and Damien off of them. Now the boys were beaten senseless and made relatively little noise apparently after yelling during the initial attack and uh, there were some defensive wounds but not not a great deal indicating they were overpowered pretty quickly which you would expect to get a relatively large 18 year old boy wailing the tar out of you hitting you as hard as he can with and maybe even on some sort of blunt object, you're probably not going to be able to put up much of a fight if you're just a little eight-year-old boy. Um, Gitchell. Now they put their, whose shirts did they put in their mouth? Damien's. Gitchell. Okay, hold. Okay, all right, hold on just a minute. Let me ask you something else, Jesse. I'm sorry, I keep going back and forth, but I got people that want me to ask you some other questions uh, talking about oral sex, did you see, you know, we had talked earlier about how Jason and uh, Damien do each other, have sex with each other. Did they Did they have oral sex on the boys? Miss Kelly, yeah, they, they, one of them stuck their thang in one of the boys' mouth while the other got the other one up the butt and stuff. Gitchell, okay, but... Did did anyone go down on the boys or maybe suck theirs or something? Not that. I didn't see nothing. Neither one of them do that. <laughs> Again, there's a suggestion here, but Miss Kelly's not taking the suggestion. Gitchell, okay, did, did they pinch their penis in any way or were they rough with it or anything like that? Miss Kelly, uh, Miss Skelly says, I didn't see nothing like that, not rough with them, I just seen um. Now, Miss Skelly in later confessions described how Eccles pinched and played with uh, Stevie Branch's penis. Gitchell, you didn't see anyone go down on the boys, uh-uh. And Gitchell, mean-hearted old Gitchell gave Miss Skelly a coke and asked, that Coke was kind of cold, huh? And Miss Kelly agrees, uh-huh. Gitchell, I tell you, it tasted pretty good to me, though. Um, uh, Jesse, when now the boys' hands were tied up, right? Right. Gitchell, how did, how did they force these boys to have oral sex on them? How did they have a hold on them? One of them had them holding by the... One of them had holding them by the arms while the other one got behind them and stuff. Gitchell, did he ever hold him up here or uh, the one that was holding him up there at the front grabbing him by his headlock? Gitchell, had him in a headlock? Did he have him any other way? Miss Kelly, he was holding him like this by his head like this and stuff. And Ms. Kelly's indicating that the victims were being held by the ears, a detail that recurs in later statements and was indicated by injuries. He was holding him up here by his head like this and he was pulling him. Jason was holding him while Damien did it and then they took turns. Gitchell, so they both did it to all three of the, these boys. Here's a suggestion, what is 
Miss Kelly say? Just them two, as far as I know, Gitchell, just the two of them challenging his assertion. Miss Kelly says, yeah, Gitchell, but they, they, but they, they both, Dame, Jason and Damien did it to two of the boys and they took turns. Miss Kelly, uh-huh. It was up by, there by their heads and stuff and was just pulling and stuff by their ears and pulling them and stuff. Hold them by their head by ears and pulling. Uh, Miss Kelly made similar descriptions about oral rape in later confessions. Here and later, he described Christopher and Stevie as being set, repeatedly sexually violated while Michael was relatively untouched by Eccles and Baldwin. And this perfectly accords with Miss Kelly's description of the attack later, where he really describes himself in a weird sort of way as a defender of Michael against Jason, who was coming over with a knife, prepared to cut him up like he cut up the other two boys. And Miss Kelly refuses to let Jason perform this kind of indignity on Michael. Of course, meanwhile, Miskelly's beating poor little Michael to death, but I guess he had his standards. <coughs> it's okay to beat a boy to death, according to Miskelly, just don't rape him and don't cut him up. Which would explain the difference in the wounding of Michael Moore. Anyway, that's it for today. I uh, hope to be back again soon. <coughs> uh, you can get, you can find my books on Amazon. This is from Where the Monsters Go. The other book in the two-volume set. The first volume is Blood on Black, and there's a combined revised, condensed, and somewhat more affordable version called The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. Enjoy the extra daylight saving that you're experiencing today, and I'll see you. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.